I don't know about you, but I tend to find human beings interesting. From Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and into 4 as well, to, to think about conversations that man had with God. Spoken conversations. And thinking what was going through their mind. And then I think about us. We have his written word that's withstood the test of time because it is from God. And yet, how many times do we do the same thing? To hear Adam and Eve and to hear the conversation with Cain. Think about Jesus and his ministry and the signs that he did and the audible voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son. I've glorified his name and I will glorify it again. And for people to think that it was just thunder. Because the question sometimes arises, would you be more inclined to listen and obey an audible voice out of heaven from God as opposed to listening and obeying the written word? that is given to us. And how many times do we argue with that written word? Maybe in our mind or trying to say, well, I know that's what it says, but there may be something else. I'm reminded in the writer of Hebrews in the the fourth chapter, in verse 12, Verse 11 reminds us that we need to be diligent to enter that rest, that eternal home, lest anyone fall after the same example of disobedience. And what a thought again. Israel, I mean, they've all been given to us for our learning, for our admonition. But to lose heaven because of disobedience to the commands that God has given. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. How penetrating is that? God's Word, the written Word, is able to judge your thoughts and your intentions. Humans, we work with what we see. We draw a lot of conclusions about what we see in one form, shape, or fashion. But to know that God 
knows your intentions. And God knows your thoughts. That's why we're told to guard our thoughts. Be aware of our thoughts before we speak them. And our words before we think them and our words before we speak them. The power that he has in all of us from time to time moves that perspective of that nature of God. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 19, in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiworks. Paul in Romans 1, in verse 20, reminds us that humans have no excuse for not knowing about God. Creation tells you that there is a God. And the fact that there is also implies that he's created us, which is clearly stated in his word. But if he's created us, then there's an expectation that he has from us. It's been said at times that for a a country that has such an abundance of the Word of God has so few who will take the time to read it, let alone study it or to meditate upon it. Those who love to do surveys George Barna being one of them, had indicated at one time that Bible reading among individuals who claim, who individuals who claim to be Christians, is at an all-time low. 18% say that they read their Bibles on a daily basis. 18%. Not of the population in general of the population that claim to be followers of God. And yet, they do not spend the time with it. Paul, as he was writing to Timothy in the first chapter, the first letter, and in chapter 4, Verse 7 and 8, we're to reject profane, old wise fables. We're to exercise ourselves rather to godliness. Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having the promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. It's the Word of God that holds the power to transform the life, the life that we now have physically and the life that we anticipate 
following this life. We have to recognize that need to exercise godliness, as some do exercise in, in the physical realm. Do we take that time? Read a little bit farther down in Psalm 19, verse 7 and following. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Moreover, to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is, a, there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's through the word that we gain that understanding of God. It is through the word that we have that concept of what it is that he's asking from us and expecting from us. A while back, when I did a sermon, I just simply read Psalm 119. The comments that I heard afterwards was interesting. That was the first time I've ever heard or read that psalm. The first time. And Psalm 119 is one of the most beautiful psalms there is. As it talks about our relationship to the Word of God, almost every verse has reference to God's Word and our response. What it's able to do goes along with the psalm here. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And again, would you give more heed if you heard an audible voice as opposed to what you read in his word? Would that make a difference? And if it would make a difference, why? Why would hearing his voice audibly from heaven 
have a greater impact than reading the power of his written word that's able to convert the soul. To hide the word of God in our heart, to meditate on it, to learn to draw the strength from it that we need. And yet, we so many times will let that go by. Another question. Do you think that your present level of response to the written word of God is the appropriate one? Do you think that your response now to the written word of God is the one that needs to be? How many times have I heard individuals say, I know I need to. I know I should. I intend to. I want to. But your understanding of God's word now, is that where it needs to be? Yea, I understand that we all need to grow. Yea, I understand we all need to spend that time in his word. But how many times is it going to be one of these days? One of these days I'm going to. I know I need to, but there are a few things that are pressing right now that does not allow that. And again, we who have access to his word in so many various forms, hard to believe that we say we're not able to do that. You can hear it in any format that you wish. You can read it in any format that you wish. I've mentioned before when I was having a, this Bible rebound, I was using another Bible that had 18 point font. I have to put these things on to, to even see that. Uh, but how many various ways do we have it available. In my office I've got a Bible that's probably less than a three by five size Bible that has the whole Bible in it. I got it when I was younger. My eyesight was a lot better and I wanted to be able to carry around the Word of God. I'm lucky to read Holy Bible on the front of it let alone what's written on the inside. But see, that's not the only Bible I have access to. Do we intend to comprehend the depths and the power of God through his word that he's left for us? That it's power to change our life. To take those passages that should mean so much to us and make that application in our life. To remind ourselves, Ephesians 3 and verse 20, our God, he is able, just that phrase alone, our God, he is able. Goes back to the three Hebrew children, doesn't it? 
He's able. He's able to deliver us. He's able to do what he wants done. So it's not a question, is God able? But he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. God's word, tremendous power that changes the life. Your presence here this evening is an indication of that power. It's an indication of a conviction. And prayerfully, it's not just a habit. Just a routine that we go through. But it's more than that for you, I know. It changes the life. Again, it's an utter impossibility, but, you know, just to even begin to want to grasp God working in our lives. Yesterday we had a report from the White Rock Fund with missionaries from around the world. And I was talking with one of them, and we got to talking about God and his working in our lives. He said, I spent a great deal of time planning and, and working things and trying to think if I can get things right that need to be. And then it dawns on me, it's not me. It's God. It's God working. I've said it here and I've mentioned it to him. I said this in the room that we were in with missionaries from around the world. I said, do you understand what it took on God's part for that to take place. Just to think, all the lives that were touched and all the lives that were involved in bringing all of that together just for that group of people could be edified for a few hours and challenged for a few hours about mission work. And then to hear the statement that come one day, and I've heard it before, those in what we call foreign countries may be sending missionaries to America because we've gotten away from where we need to be as a country or as individuals within the country. Do we see the power of the word? One of the, the names for Christ given for us in the Bible is Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace out of Isaiah 9. In verse 6, he is the one that, to whom we should always turn to receive truth, to receive help, and to receive the counsel that can change the life that we live. It's his word that makes that difference. We do not have that little still voice that talks in the head. But we have God's word in our mind. And it's what comes to mind periodically. It's what pricks the conscience. It's what reminds us, you know better than that. You know you should be doing this. And then I have all of those examples 
of God's people with all the richness that they enjoyed that in time simply walked away from God. I encourage you again to read periodically this read Revelation chapter 2 and 3. John's letter to the seven churches of Asia. Read how they are described. Read how they've been blessed, some of them, all of them, because they were his church. And read how quickly some are willing to depart from the faith. Read 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 8 and 9. Start about verse 5 and read down through there as well. It's a righteous thing for God to punish those who are persecuting you. And it's coming a time when the Lord will come with his mighty angels in flame and fire. And the Lord will deal out retribution to those who do not know God. And it's the latter one. And to those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. For those who do not obey, do I obey what I read? It's not just a book I can pick up and read occasionally and then lay it aside. It's there for me to learn to obey, to trust and to obey in the song that we often sing. To take him at his word because it is a righteous thing that God will deal out retribution on those individuals who do not know and who do not obey. And again, lest we think it's harsh for God to punish those who do not obey or do not know Again, go back to Romans 1 and verse 20. They are without excuse. They know about God and have chosen not to retain God in their knowledge. Three powerful verses there, verse 24, 26, and 28. God gave them up. We want that long-suffering of God. We want that forbearance of God. We want that patience of God. But God also expects something from us. What his word is there for to remind us. You have freedom. And with freedom comes consequences of the choices that are made. How will you choose? And what will you base it upon? There were times when I was a child. I said times, it wasn't always the case. There were times when I was kept from doing things, knowing the consequence when I got home. 
there were times when knowing what you might get when you got home were reasons not to do what you were thinking about doing. There's consequences for disobedience. The consequence for being lackadaisical about what we have. And the end result. Satan is very effective in his work. His job is to make that which is ugly and horrible and eternally damning to appear very pleasant without any of the ugliness to go along with it. You again just think about the world and look at what they're caught up into and how they think nothing about what they're doing and the things that they will do. Satan is a, makes it attractive. Easy to get started on it, sometimes hard to quit. That's why it's always best not to do it in the first place. Talk to countless individuals who wish they have never started some bad habits that they have. They know it's not good for them. They know they ought to quit. But so many of them are like my, one of my brother-in-law's. That it's easy to quit smoking. I've done it 50 times. He could quit, not touch a cigarette for five years, and then he could pick it right up again and not have a problem with it. Knowing the damage that it will do. And he's suffering physically because of that. But more than that, there's eternal consequences. God, who's great in love and mercy, Paul would remind us in the Roman letter, we need to behold the goodness and the severity of God. This is what the Word does, does it not? It reveals to you the goodness of God, the patience of God, the love of God, but reveals to you his severity. And they may have seemed to be over trivial matters as we view it. But when God says no, that's exactly what he means. And simply because we do not have all the end results of consequences of man's actions does not mean that they have, are not, or have not and will not take place. We consider and often brought up about us staying the ark with his hand and being struck dead. When God said no, that's what he meant. And simply because it is not mentioned what happened to those who were carrying the ark in a way that it was not to be carried does not mean that they had escaped punishment. They were at fault as well. I've often said, 
Also reminds me of the seriousness of sin. Every sin deserves death without exception. And David, King David, is an example of the love and the mercy of God when repentance was given, when he repented that he was forgiven. His transgressions seem much more horrible than that of us's. But again, it's a reminder, Romans 3.23, all has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The power is in the Word. We were talking at lunch about trying to get Jerry to sing the song, There's Power in the Blood, and we're just going to change it and say, There's Power in the Word. But we decided we wouldn't do that. But the power is in the Word, always has been, always will be. And it's something that God in His providence has granted to each one of us to have access to. And I would dare say with almost without exception that almost every one of us has more than just one of these. So there is no excuse that we can offer to God His word is perfect. It will save the soul. The question is, will we we allow him to do that through his word? Will we let his word touch our soul, touch our heart, touch our mind, and cause us to change the life that we live? As we sing the invitation song, can you sing it from your heart? Can you sing it with your soul that you absolutely mean what you're saying? Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Will we listen? Will we respond? Will we let the Lord change the life that we live? If you have a need to respond to his invitation, opportunity is granted to you this evening to be able to do that. If we could assist you, if we could help you in any way in making your life right with God, then indeed we'd bid you to come as together we stand and sing.